following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. So as Anthony said, my name is Dan Slater. Um, For those of you that that don't know me, I've gone to church here my whole life. um, And uh, my wife Emily is in the back there. We have four kids. And uh, it's just a privilege to be a part of this body and and to serve here and play the drums. I'm all sweaty. I think I'm calmed down by now, but... um, so, uh, with the Christmas season now completed, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, in the book of Hebrews, beginning next week. Uh, but this week, um, Anthony asked me to, to speak on the topic of mercy. You can find the other uh, sermons on Hebrews online. There's uh, both Scott and Anthony gave a lot of good uh, sermons on that. So if you want to catch up, that's where we're picking up next week. Um, so this morning is mercy, though. Um, and mercy is one of the themes that is touched on a lot in the book of Hebrews, so I'm sure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of those verses this morning out of Hebrews. There's some good stuff in there. But the main text uh, that we'll be looking at is Romans 12, 1 through 2. Um, and there, there are notes on the back tables if you haven't gotten those yet, and uh, I've got some slides that will be on the screen. I didn't win any awards in uh, PowerPoint presentation, but they're up there. So we'll have our notes and the slides. We're good. So prior to the 12th chapter, um, there's this theme of mercy flowing throughout the book of Romans. Um, Paul lays out some very hard truths. Um, He explains how humanity is under the curse of sin and deception, how we're sinful and rebellious, and we've rejected God, and we've suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And in in, uh, the first chapter, he says, For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that we are without excuse. So we had a counterfeit righteousness derived out of our own works. It amounted to filthy rags, just this, the way that Paul described it. It's just gross. There's no use for it. It's Get away from me. It's filthy rags. However, because God is pers- uh, merciful and gracious, the curse of sin was placed upon Christ at the cross. He bore our punishment. His perfect righteousness was given to us based on no merit of our own. And if we repent, that righteousness would justify us before God. It would put us with right, in right standing before God. And it would qualify us for an inheritance of eternal life as sons and daughters of the Most High. So now after unpacking all of that. That's some homework for this week. You can read Romans 1 through 11. Paul goes into Romans 12, and he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is one of those passages that, um, this has just stuck with me for a long time. As far back as I can remember here, um, these first couple of verses, it's just been a verse that I memorized long ago, and, um, you know, part, probably because it mentions worship, I enjoy worshiping the Lord with music, and um, and so I'm kind of drawn to some of those verses. This particular one is not talking about musical worship, but 
it just talks about a lifestyle of worship. But I kind of, after I memorized this, these scriptures, I kind of just turned it into a prayer. And for a while, I would I would do it every morning. It was just, I was always drawn to this verse. And I would um, just kind of turn it into prayer language and say, Lord, here I am. I offer myself to you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the cross, for your forgiveness. I'd say, use me today, however you want. And help me to not conform to the patterns of the world. Help me to, to be a good employee, to be a good husband, be a good father. And, and just transform me. And it's just a great uh, verse to use for prayer language. And so, <clears throat> when we're reading this morning, though, I want to focus on four things that Paul lays out in those couple of verses. So number one is meditate on God's mercy. And these are things that these are principles that we can apply to our lives as believers. It's very, very simple principles. Well, simple to say, but... Number, number two is humbly present ourselves to God. Number three, quit conforming to the world, to the patterns of this world. And number four is be transformed to live like Christ. So first we're going to look at meditating on God's mercy. And it was, it was interesting this morning, all the songs that we sang... Had a lot of great songs about God's mercy and His forgiveness and how our sin was nailed to the cross and just all these great truths that we sang about this morning of how God saved us and redeemed us. And we can rejoice in that. Um, I want to spend a good portion of the time this morning on, on this first part, on meditating on mercy, because I think for us to, to think upon His mercy, out of that, out of the fact that God has rescued us and forgiven us, that's where our worship overflows from, from that, that place of knowing that and, and living in that and, and believing that. The fact that God is a merciful God who extends forgiveness to us, arrogant sinners like us, and he's redeemed us. We've been greatly forgiven. So the words grace and mercy, they're often used interchangeably because they're both a part of God's character. And he disperses them simultaneously. We talk a lot here about uh, the attributes of God and how he doesn't, God does not put a pause on, on mercy while he shows love or he doesn't, he doesn't suspend his attributes. He's fully, fully God in every way and every attribute he has 100%. So I'm going to define mercy as the act of God withholding punishment which sinful humanity deserves. And then we can think of grace as the undeserved forgiveness and compassion extended from the holy God towards sinful humanity. So God withholds the wrath that we deserve. That's his mercy. He does that by allowing his son to take it upon himself. That's for us in this room. It's for believers, for non-believers. It's Jesus took the penalty of our sin upon him. That was God's mercy. And in turn, we receive forgiveness and reconciliation paid for through Christ. That's his grace. That's his righteousness given to us when we don't deserve it. Unmerited favor is another way of thinking of it. So with that in mind, let's read um, these passages from Hebrews. Jesus describes himself, or he's described in Hebrews 2.17 as a merciful high priest. We read, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest 
in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So since we are flesh and blood, God became flesh and blood in order to take that place of high priest, in order to be able to sympathize with us. Again, in Hebrews 4, we read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So mercy is one of God's crowning attributes. I think the greatest expression of God's mercy towards us is Jesus, his sending his son. Not only his incarnation when he put on flesh and he walked among us, but then in his crucifixion and then what he purchased for us through that. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. When Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God did not become any greater. It could not become any greater, for it was already infinite. We get the odd notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No, Jesus died because God is showing mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us Calvary, not Calvary that gave us mercy. If God had not been merciful, there would have been no incarnation, no babe in the manger, no man on a cross, and no open tomb. Christ humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, and he spent years developing relationships with men and women, walking alongside of them because he is merciful. And he experienced their hurt because he is merciful. He experienced the fallen world, yet without sinning himself, because he is merciful. Then ultimately, as a high priest, he atoned for the sins of the world by offering his body as a sacrifice once and for all and spilling his blood on the cross. That is God's mercy. We didn't even deserve for Christ to set foot on the earth. We, we didn't deserve such a thing. But he came. We didn't deserve salvation from our sins, but God extended mercy to us because he is a merciful God. I really don't think we get it. I, I know I don't. To, to sit and think about the depths that Christ went to for us. Sometimes we downplay the necessity of God's mercy and forgiveness in our lives. And we neglect our need for Savior and forgiveness. It's just the height of arrogance. I fall into that all the time, thinking that I'm, I'm fine. I, I, you know, I can manage. I'm a good person. But pretty quickly I'm reminded how utterly dependent on God I am. God is so good to us and he pursued us while we were still sinners. Psalm 103.10 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And then in Ephesians, Paul puts it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. But... 
because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God is abounding in love and rich in mercy. That's the theme that you see all throughout the Old Testament. When God reveals himself to the to his people, he, he, he says, he's slow to anger, abounding in love, rich in mercy. He relents from doing harm. He's abounding in love. This is who he is. The book of Lamentations states, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I think the, the new mercy that's talking about, it's, it's not only demonstrated in the way he works in our lives, but maybe it's this idea that every morning we can see a new aspect of his mercy, a new angle of it that we hadn't yet seen before. If, if his mercy is infinite and he's an infinite God, then we're never going to fully comprehend that. We can spend our, our whole lives and all of eternity learning of the mercy of God. And so every morning, if we choose, we can take a moment and, and thank him for his mercy and, and ask him to teach us more about his mercy and reveal it to us. And, and I think that's what Lamentations is, is saying there. There's a deeper revelation of, of God's mercy and his forgiveness that, that's in store for us if we ask. And so he's rich in mercy, abounding in love, and daily he reveals more mercy to us, so I think daily he requires a response from us. We, we can think upon it and say, oh, thanks, that's cool, and then go on with our day. Or that, that's one response. I'd, I'd say it's not the best one. <laughs> or we can respond, <clears throat> we can respond by, by offering ourselves to him. So after you have this clear view of mercy, do you offer yourself wholeheartedly or do you take his mercy for granted? This is to myself too. <laughs> it's a daily choice. His mercies are new every morning. I think if his, his mercies are never failing, then our worship should never fail. It's not going to be perfect. It's not out of duty that we worship and we have to reach a quota of how many worshipful things we do each day. That's not the point. But this God who, who is rich in mercy, um, we, we shouldn't get bored. We shouldn't get bored when trying to think about think upon God. There's so much to to dwell on. We can't plumb the depths of his mercy and love. <clears throat> do we offer him lip service or do we just have a desire to please him? Uh, sorry, do we offer him lip service or do we have a desire to actually please him and to actively serve others with our lives, with our energy? The Old Testament is full of all sorts of language of sacrifice. So you would bring your, your sheep or your goat or your cow or whatever to the, to the temple and you'd present it to the priest and they would cut the animal's throat and spill blood everywhere. And that blood, uh, sacrifice, it was, that animal would act as a sort of substitute for, for that person. God would see that as a substitution. And ultimately we know that Jesus one day, that was a picture of Jesus who would one day become the substitute and spill his blood and atone for the the sin of the whole world. Through Christ, we're made alive. Paul isn't asking us to do that type of sacrifice, thank God, because we, we don't need to anymore, because Jesus 
was that sacrifice and that he, he provided the atonement. We're made alive in Christ and so we are to surrender our body to God that he may use us how he sees fit for his kingdom. So to offer your body, and I think he's, he's not just talking about your flesh and bones, but it's, it's your words, your actions, your deeds, your thoughts. This implies the choice needs to be made. Humility is needed. And sometimes, probably most of the time, this goes against our flesh. We may offer ourselves to the Lord at the beginning of the day and say, here I am, God, use me, and then get to work or we, we get to wherever and stuff starts to go downhill and we start to backpedal and then God begins to ask us to do something. And we're like, oh boy, that's, that's not what I was hoping for. So, you know, he might say, turn off the TV and go serve somebody. Spend your time a little differently. Or instead of getting home and unloading about your hard day you had, how about you be quiet and listen to the needs of others? This is sacrificing yourself. Show compassion and kindness to that person who's really hard to get along with. Practice generosity. Or maybe have that hard conversation you've been putting off. Or resolve conflict. These are all things that we can offer ourselves to God and, and he'll begin to say okay, you're, you're offering your day to me, here's what I'd like you to do so that's where it gets tough and it gets messy but he empowers us by, by his spirit however, we choose to use our bodies as instruments of righteousness I think while we do that, we're simultaneously putting to death our sinful nature so while the act of us in obedience to God the choice of going this direction to him and having our backs to this direction, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's um, putting to death our sinful man, refusing to, to feed into that. Romans 6.13 says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So we offer ourselves, and then number three, we quit conforming to the patterns of this world. In verse two, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. And you know, he starts, he starts the whole section by saying, I urge you in view of God's mercy. And as, as I was reading it the last week here, I think that, that urgency he has, it's not just the first part of off your bodies as a living sacrifice. I have a feeling that his, the whole tone of his urgency was, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because that's your spiritual act of worship. Worship. I urge you, don't conform to the patterns of this world. I urge you to offer yourselves. I urge you. So he says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. What are the patterns of this world? We, we can think of, it kind of boils down to serving yourself. What can I do for me? How can I advance my popularity, my career, my my uh, sphere of influence for my benefit. There's selfish gain, living for self-fulfillment, lying, manipulation, theft, taking advantage of others to get ahead. Especially in America, we have this idea of we want it our way, we want it now. That's, that's the way our culture is. And in some ways, that's a blessing and a curse. We have so much accessible... But boy, it gets, I know it gets me, uh, pretty impatient. I want it now and I want, I want my needs to be met. 
And if I'm not happy, if we're not happy, we self-medicate or we surround ourselves with people who will, um, people who won't talk us out of bad behavior or we surround ourselves with idols that, that just dull our heart, dull the ache in our heart. That's the pattern of this world. These sinful patterns, they lead to death. The world's going to tell you to do what makes you happy and to follow your heart. And that's another horrible bit of advice. Because the Bible says that our hearts are, dis- are deceitful. We're deceived. If we follow our heart, it's, it's not going to end well. But these areas of sin in your life that, that you're attached to, they must be torn away. You can't let them dictate who you are and, and what you do. They enslave you. So if we confess our sin and we turn to Christ, that's repentance. And Christ gives us freedom. In Romans 6, he says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we, we view God's mercy, we offer, our, offer ourselves, we quit conforming to the patterns of this world. We don't do it perfectly. This, these are our goals, and the Holy Spirit helps us. Number four is we, we're transformed to live like Christ. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the process that Paul is referring to there is sanctification. It's being transformed. It's a lifelong renovation that takes place in a believer. It's God's grace at work in our lives. Uh, John Piper puts it this way. He just boils it down to the process of becoming sanctified is the process of more consistently and more fervently obeying Jesus Christ. So notice he uses those words more consistently, more fervently. It's not, it's not a definite consistency and a definite fervency. It's something that we're growing day after day or whole life. And there's days where there's days where things don't go well, and and um, but we have to remember that God sees the big picture, and He sees He sees the outcome. And the Scripture tells us that He who began a work in us, a good work in us, will see it through. So, I guess that that bit of encouragement, if you're feeling like, man, I'm not I'm not feeling transformed. I feel like an ugly caterpillar right now. I'm still in that weird stage. I'm not fully developed in this beautiful butterfly or whatever analogy you want to use. Um, it's a process, and and we can trust that and know that's the way God laid it out, and and so we can just uh, trust in that, and we can encourage one another. The Holy Spirit produces and cultivates within you a desire to love and obey God and empowers you to become more and more like Christ as you walk out your faith in obedience. As you read God's word, your mind is cleansed and, and transformed. Your thinking is changed of how you, how you think about the world and how you think about God and how you think about um, how you should interact with others. And the whole scope of history, your, your thinking is changed. And then your motives, your actions, your speech, 
all this stuff. This is all what this sanctification process is. It's, it's God changing us more and more into the image of Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit's work in us. I remember a couple weeks ago, Anthony spoke about how, um, how, it, how it's a lot of work. This doesn't mean that we get to, to sit there and, and let God do all the work. And, okay, transform me. And done, I'm transformed. Nope, that's not the way it works. We have to, we have to get up and move and do things and, and interact with people. And it, it, it's not easy. But it's an awesome, uh, awesome outcome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this great thing that, that the Lord set in, 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 uh, set motion in our hearts. So these selfish motives that we, <clears throat> that we have, they gradually change, resulting in more love towards others and towards ourselves. Our hands begin to humbly serve others in need. We have more self-control what we set our eyes upon. We're careful to filter the things we listen to and watch. We become more and more sexually pure. You, we place a higher dignity and value on human life. And our life lines up more and more with the word of God. Notice I'm using that more and more language. Like what John Piper said, it's... it's it's little by little. We speak encouragement and build others up. We don't walk around aimlessly. It, God gives us purpose. This is what that transformation looks like. And it's, it's only through sanctification that we'll ever begin to understand God's will. Paul ends it by saying, um, be transformed. Then you'll be able to know God's will, his good and perfect will. So as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, we're conformed to the likeness of Christ. And through that, we continually grow in our understanding of God's mercy, which in turn compels us to respond by offering our bodies again and again as sacrifices. We will then conform less and less to the patterns of this world. I think it's just a process. It's a cyclical thing. We, we think of his mercy. We surrender ourselves to him. He uses us, and it, um, it grows us. And we conform less and less to the world, conform more to Christ. And it, it's a transformation. And then we think about another aspect of his mercy. And he, he says, okay, are you ready to go? Are you going to serve me today? And we say, yes. Then we do it. And we, and he conforms us more and transforms us. So Paul states that with your renewed mind, you will be able to know God's perfect will. Um, and I'd like to argue that at its core, God's will for our life is sanctification. When you really boil it down, it's our sanctification. And I think you see that in Scripture. Transformation into the likeness of Christ, and everything else will follow. Sometimes we think of the will of God, we confuse that with calling. Um, <clears throat> but God's will, what, what he would have for our lives... I think it's our sanctification because we overanalyze things. I know I overanalyze what's God's will for my life, and I have a bad day, and I think, oh God, what you know, what what's next for me, and and what am I going to do about my um, employment, or what what am I going to? How's the furtherance of my career, my popularity, my ministry, my influence? What's your will for my life? And I get into despair, but. It, at its core, he's just saying, okay, set that aside. Are you loving your neighbor today? Because that's, 
That's the way that we conform to his likeness. And that's the way that we're transformed. Are you, are you taking the gifts and talents that I've given you and blessing others with them? Are you loving your wife, Emily, and your kids? Are you being a good father and husband? Are you being a good steward of, of the money and the things I've given you? I think that's God's will. He looks, God uses people, uh, extraordinary means, certainly. I'm, I'm not gonna say he doesn't do that. I, totally believe that God uses the people for extraordinary things. The majority of us, though, it's the ordinary day-to-day things in our lives. Are we being obedient to this thing and the next step? And it's very small things that he's interested in. And those are the small things that, um, that God uses to transform us. And, and lots of times it goes unnoticed by others. But he wants to see Christ come alive in our hearts. That's, that's God's goal. It's, it's for our greatest good and for his glory. So, to recap. These four things. Number one, we meditate on God's mercy. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That he forgave us. That we were dead in sin and lost without him. And he... He rescued us. That should not get old. That should be something that every morning we can, if we just take a moment to think about God's mercy and his forgiveness extended towards us. That's something to behold. Number two, we humbly present ourselves. So we're imperfect, and God knows that. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. But we present ourselves to him and say, here I am, warts and all, use me. I want to be used for your kingdom. And we present ourselves. And we, and we know that he's a loving father who, who will use us and who will, who, who will see, it, see it through, whatever it, whatever it is he has for that day for us. Then we quit conforming to the world. We live countercultural. And we're salt and light. And we live to serve others, not ourselves. And then we're transformed to live like Christ. So as, as we immerse ourselves in truth, God's word, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in obedience to God and to love sacrificially and to point others towards Christ. I'm convinced that the cross of Christ is the greatest act of mercy that the world's ever known. And so, God, is, who is rich in mercy, he's most deserving of the greatest worship. And as undeserving as we are to receive Christ's righteousness and forgiveness, how much more did Jesus undeservingly take the penalty for our sin and give us salvation freely? May this year be a year at CLG where we grow in our knowledge of the mercy of God together. Where we as a community of believers present ourselves to God and ask, how can I serve? You know, we think about, what am I supposed to do? Again, these small things. God, how, how, how can you use me today? Well, he, he's got some stuff for you. And this body of people here, this is a great start. This is, this is where we can love one another and serve one another imperfectly. 
but, but we do it. I think if we ask God, how can I serve? And, and we stir one another up to love and good works. And we can walk alongside one another and encourage each other to leave areas of sin behind so that as we're conforming more and more to Christ and less and less to the patterns of this world, you might have a friend who recognizes a pattern in your life that is of the world. And we can lovingly um, lovingly address that in, in, in your friend's life. And we encourage one another to leave areas of sin behind. And then we witness God's continual transformational work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy this morning. I pray that you would remind us daily of how much you how much you love us, the extent of your love, what that, what that, uh, how that was played out, that Christ came because you were merciful and he gave, he gave himself on the cross and poured out his blood because he's merciful. I pray that we would, we would live in light of that. We would urge one another to do that. And then we would, we would submit to the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts that we would be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that this is a, a good thing, this is a good process, and that, and that you're a good God. And we can rejoice in your mercy and in your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.